Well, Thanksgiving is upon us. I hope that you're ready. Everybody ready for Thanksgiving? Getting closer. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am thankful for you. Let's practice Thanksgiving right now. Tell somebody you're thankful for them. That's a good thing. For those of you who just told a fib, you can come to the altar at the end, and uh, we'll pray with you during invitation time. That's why we give an invitation. That's all right. Uh, it's always good just still to confess the right things. I always look forward to Thanksgiving, don't you? A time that we can gather. It's the beginning of really the holiday season and time to focus on Thanksgiving. I think we love it because God loves it. God tells us to be thankful not just in November, but he says in all things at all times. Thanksgiving is not a holiday. It is a holy way of living. And Thanksgiving seems to remind us of that, to get back to a spirit of Thanksgiving. It's a time to spend with our families. And already you guys have been breaking out the old recipe cards and getting all the traditional meals going. I bet some of you are fixing something that's a third or fourth generation recipe probably, and it's been passed on from generation to generation. And it's just what we do as we gather together. And really, it's pretty hard to mess up Thanksgiving, except living on this planet and the things that we experience can really bring some challenges, but then we can even bring our own challenges. Here are some things that some people have tried to do that really should never have been done during Thanksgiving. Jones Soda. I don't know if you know about Jones Soda. Uh, you may not be able to see this very good. Jones Soda came out with a tofurkey and gravy soda because they thought somebody wanted to drink that for Thanksgiving. Unbelievable. They came out with other flavors as well. They have a green bean casserole soda. They have a mashed potatoes and butter, a fruit cake, and a cranberry gravy soda, just in case you needed more Thanksgiving. Now, you may want to do this this year. You may want to show up and bring a Thanksgiving cake. Here's your new Thanksgiving cake. Now, it looks pretty yummy. It looks almost like a carrot cake until you realize this is a turkey dinner layer cake. It's got layers of stuffing and ground turkey mixed with instant oatmeal. What's instant oatmeal doing in Thanksgiving? But those layers are made out of the ground turkey with the stuffing. It's beautifully frosted with mashed potatoes and sweet potato pie on top. Somebody's going to cut into that for dessert and going to get real grumpy this Christmas. Kellogg's decided to get crazy with it. And they come up with pumpkin Pop-Tarts. Now, that probably is semi-doable. Don't mess with my Pop-Tarts, man. I'll get Thanksgiving another way. I don't need it coming in my Pop-Tart. And this has got to be the worst right here. Some jelly bean company has come out with mashed potato and gravy jelly beans. Also in this pack, that's just one flavor. You reach into the hodgepodge of Thanksgiving, and there are other unusual flavors. They have a ketchup jelly bean, a sausage jelly bean, potato and gravy jelly bean, and all kinds of other things assorted in your Thanksgiving bag. Well, help me, Rhonda. Thanksgiving was never supposed to show up like that. But what should Thanksgiving look like? Well, let me take you back to one of the first Thanksgivings. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 15. Go to Matthew chapter 15. We're in a study in a series on God questions. Questions that God asks, not because he needs information, but because we need to see something deeper. Something that maybe we've never seen before. Just by having to wrestle with the question that God asks, it takes us deeper into truth. Matthew 15, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people. 
because they have remained with me now for three days, they've had nothing to eat, and I don't want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. People had gathered from all around. They'd heard about the miracle worker, this Jesus. Uh, They've heard that dead people have been given new life. They've heard that blind people are able to see. Lame people are now walking. And, And so people have come from all over to be touched by Jesus and to listen to his message. Jesus has been preaching for three days. Now, this is different. If you turned back one chapter, you don't have to, but just a chapter earlier, there was the feeding of the 5,000s. It wasn't unusual for Jesus to gather large crowds and to be speaking truth into their lives. And here we come again. This time, the audience a little bit smaller. And as we look in on this particular Thanksgiving, we find that Jesus not only wanted the people to have truth, But he wanted to minister to every area of their life. He had compassion for the people. Seven different times through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we see this word, compassion. Matthew, uh, who was a tax collector, who was a Gentile, if you will, was blown away that God could love somebody like him. And I think that compassion that he saw in Jesus resonated with his heart. And seven different times he points to that compassion a gut-wrenching hurt. He didn't feel compassion. He didn't feel sorry for him, like, oh, man, I bet they're hungry. No, no, no. He, he bellyached. He, he hurt. He, he, he would enter into their pain. Their, he understood what they were going through. And I want you to understand, that's who God is, a God of compassion. It blows me away that there are so many people today that have a distorted picture of who God is. They're blinded by the God of this world. They don't see correctly. They see God as somebody who's an old, cranky deity in heaven, sitting on a cloud, waiting to zap with lightning bolts. They see him as someone who is judgmental and harsh. And yet Jesus said this when he was on this planet. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know who God really is, the best picture we have is to look into the life, the ministry of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, I pray you don't see the same distorted view. You shouldn't see judgmentalism. You shouldn't see harsh. You shouldn't see cranky. But you'll see compassion. His compassion for the people, all of them. Notice that. All of them. Seeing the crowds. He didn't see them as a long line of ministry projects. He didn't see them as a hassle. Man, I've had to spend three days preaching to these stubborn people. He looked at them with love and with great compassion. He just saw them for who they were and where they were. He wasn't just feeling sorry for him. He understood. Matter of fact, turn over to Matthew. Hold your place in Matthew 15. Let me show you another place in time he had compassion. Just earlier, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. There again, there were great crowds out there. People who were searching. People who were hurting. People who had needs. And Jesus, looking out over the people, seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed? Does that sound like the crowds in America today? Does that sound like the people you're working with? Does that sound like people in your family that are going to gather with you at Thanksgiving? Are they going to come in a little distressed? They were distressed, depressed, and defeated. Downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Why, Why were they where they were? Why was he hurting for them? Because they had no direction. They had no shepherd. 
The times we're praying, whether it's in this service or when we leave and we take that to a parking space or we take that to a hotel room or wherever we might go, remember there are all kinds of people out there who are distressed, who are downtrodden, who are depressed, who are downcast, who are defeated because they don't have a shepherd. They don't have one to provide for them and to take care of them. Sheep without a shepherd never make it very long in the world. They become easy prey for the enemy. And so we get to pray. And we get to pray for them that they would come to know and see the shepherd of their souls. Go back to Matthew 15 and look at verse 33. Let's dig in on the rest of the story. Let's find our God question. Verse 33. The disciples said to him, well, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? The disciples had questions. The disciples didn't know what to do. When you don't know what to do, at least the disciples did the right thing. They at least took their questions to Jesus. They said, okay, Lord, what are we supposed to do? What can we do? We don't have enough loaves. There's no way to fix this problem. You ever had a problem that when you looked at it, you said, there's no way this is going to turn out well. I can't fix it. I can't do anything about it, Lord. There's no way this problem can be solved. Well, do what they did. Take it to Jesus. You say, well, that's easy for a preacher to say from a pulpit. Well, that's what these guys did in their moment and in their circumstance. And what did Jesus do? Jesus responded to their question. What are you expecting now with a question? Oh, he's going to give them answers, and he'll give you answers, but sometimes those answers come in the form of a question. So look at Jesus' question. Jesus responded and said, well, how many loaves do you have? There's your question. The question, let me, let me just paint it this way and phrase it this way. What he really was saying is, what do you have? Let's talk about your problem. What do you have to solve the problem? And they answered and they said, well, we've got seven loaves and a few small fish. First time you've ever seen an honest fisherman give an honest answer. They've never had small fish before, but all of a sudden it's never big enough. It's a small catch. We don't have enough. We don't have much. That was their response to Jesus' question. Now, let me ask you this. Was Jesus putting together a grocery list? Was Jesus asking because he didn't know what they had or what they didn't have? He clearly knew the reality of the moment, so why would he ask the question? Well, I think he was helping them to see life differently. You see, so many times we are blinded by reality. You say, well, reality is reality. Oh, really? What you'll come to find is that reality many times becomes something different when you allow Jesus into the equation. Jesus plus reality can become super reality and supernatural. They were living by the conditions and the laws of the physical realm and discounting the supernatural realm. How many of us are doing the same thing? How many of us are living in Jesus for salvation, but we're not living in Jesus for supernatural life? How many of us know we have a a gift of eternal life, but we're not experiencing abundant life now because we've relegated to Jesus as a ticket to heaven? Jesus is more than a ticket to heaven. They were being blinded by their physical reality. They only had seven loaves. That didn't add up to much. The problem for us is we have so much that we can look to. 
The problem for us in America and in Christianity is different than Christianity. If you go on a foreign mission trip on any other soil, you will see a different experience to life than what you see in America. In America, the land of plenty, we have so much that we can fix a lot of problems with what we have. And we've learned to do that. And we rely on our own strength and our own sustenance and our own resources. And we have discounted where God is in the equation. I was spending some time with John Neandico, who spoke at our Thanksgiving banquet. And we were talking about uh, his Burundi customs. And I said, what do you do for Thanksgiving? Do you embrace our custom? Do you have your own custom? He said, we, we live with those we live with, and we'll celebrate Thanksgiving, but we'll do it different than you do. And we talked about their customs, and we talked about turkey and different things. And I said, what's the normal Burundi diet? He said, rice, beans, more rice, more beans. I said, chicken, no meat. No meat. So, as a matter of fact, the only time we would ever eat meat in our culture is at Christmas. And we would try to save up enough to just get a little piece of meat to add to the rice and beans on Christmas Day. That's the only animal protein, all, that's all. A different reality. They don't have much. He said, if I was to earn back in my country $160 a month, I would be a middle-class man. If I doubled that to $360 a month, I would be a rich man in my country. They don't have much, and they've learned they don't need much. The problem is we have much, and so we don't need much. And that's our problem. The disciples had to realize you may think you have much, you may think you got it, you may think you can control your life, but you've got to come to an understanding you don't have much. So put yourself in the question, what do you have? What do you have to make a difference in this world? What do you have to help those who are hurting in this world? And there are many in the church today that say, I have nothing to give of spiritual value. I can put a tithe in an offering plate at church. I can pray for the preacher and the staff, and that's their job. They're the spiritual ones, and we show up for church. I don't have much. I want you to understand, if you can answer the question like the disciples said, if you could get real today with the Lord and say, Lord, I don't have much, I want you to understand that's exactly what he's looking for. You're a perfect candidate for God to do much with your not much. Watch this. Watch what happens. Think about the widow. Think about the widow who had only an itty-bitty mite. If she was giving to our payoff debt for the children's building, it wouldn't have even been noticed with our eyes. But you know what? Jesus noticed it. And he said she gave more than anybody else. She had a mite. What did Moses have? Moses had a staff. Well, that's a great way to fight the greatest army on the planet. That's a great way to lead two or, three million, two or three million people. All he had was a staff. What did David have to take down a giant three times his size? A little sling, a couple of riverbed stones. That's all it needed. Those who had little experienced great things because they trusted God with their not much. We take a look 
at their answer, look at what they said. They said, we have seven loaves and a few small fish. Well, he didn't ask about the fish, did he? Oh, he says, how many loaves do you have? Well, what are they doing? They're trying to expand what they've got. They're trying to convince Jesus. We've looked for everything, not just even the loaves, but even these fish. They didn't even answer the question correctly because they're still blinded by what they perceive to not have. So again, their problem, wrong perspective. We always come up short when we're doing our own math. When we're looking to our own resources, you will always come up short. And so he wasn't trying to get their resources. He was trying to get their attention. He was trying to increase their faith. And maybe God's doing that in your life this morning. It's interesting, as I told you just one chapter earlier, Jesus had fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Now think about it. The audience was bigger. The number of loaves was smaller. It hadn't been that long ago, and Jesus had already blown them away with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, and now they come to it again? Why didn't they go run and Jesus said, hey, Jesus, the crowd's not as big as last time, but I remember what you did last time, and Lord, we got these seven loaves. This is going to be easy. This is just like a dessert fellowship, Lord, so would you bless these so we could feed the people? Why did they not go running back to that? Well, some scholars believe one of the reasons they were blinded by their own prejudice. Some believe that they couldn't see it. They understood why Jesus did it the first time because it was a Jewish congregation. It was their people. This time it was more Gentiles. And so they were probably saying, well, Jesus being nice, giving them three days. Boy, these sinners, they need to know the truth. They need this preaching. They need the preaching. But that's all they're getting. Jesus had compassion for the Gentile and the Jew, for the Baptist and the Methodist and the Catholic, for the me and the you. Jesus is a God of compassion. And regardless of what was going on, they were still doing the natural math, which brings natural experiences and natural results, not the supernatural. So as we look in on the story, let's not make fun of the disciples. Let's also find that we go there. But let's also admit we too come up short. Matter of fact, the Bible says every single person in this room has fallen short. But how many people are going to go out into eternity and try to put together the list? Oh, Lord, I did this, 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 and this. Lord, look at these seven things I did. Look at these good things I did. I know there's this bad stuff over there, Lord, but look at this stuff. Look at my resource. Look at what I, I'm a pretty good guy, pretty good gal. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so what does God do in that moment? Go back to Matthew 15, look at verse 35. So Jesus directed the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and what did he do? What did he do? There's Thanksgiving. He gave thanks. Just like he did the other time as well. He took what looked like not much. He presented it to the Father in a spirit of thanksgiving. I hope this holiday season you'll gather with your family and your friends, and I hope that you'll do the same thing. And I'm not talking about what's on a table or not on a table. I'm talking about what's going on in here, that we would spend time presenting to the Father our thanksgiving. And it may not be much in our opinion, but it is the blessing of God in our life. Jesus took that. And he gave thanks. There I see the first thanksgiving. 
And he gave that to the Father, and he broke it, and he started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. As we look at the story, Jesus received what they had, not much, but presented to him. He received it. He presented it back to the Father with thanksgiving, and guess what? That was enough. More than enough. And so maybe instead of presenting to God your complaints or presenting to God your excuses, or presenting to God your pity party, why don't we live in a praise party? Why don't we live with the spirit of thanksgiving and give what we would say is not much to him and let God make much of it for his glory? This thanksgiving, we will give God our excuses or we will give God our thanksgiving. We'll either surrender to him, not much, Or we will complain about much. That's the difference in the spirit of thanksgiving. Throughout our lifetime, we're going to face times of difficulty. We're going to face circumstances and challenges that we can't handle, that we can't fix. Men in the audience, listen. There are some things you can't fix as stubborn as you are about trying to fix it. You can't fix it. That's why there's Home Depot and Lowe's. And YouTube. And oh, so much more. And our wives. That's why we can't fix it. What do you do when you can't fix it? When you can't meet the demand of the moment or the challenge before you, learn from the question. Learn from the question. Don't be blinded by what you don't have or how little it is or how insignificant it is. Don't make excuses like Moses. I, I, I can't talk. Guess what, Moses? You're going to do a lot of talking. I I can't take on that giant. Guess what? You're going to take off his head. Oh, we can't come against that fortified city. Oh, watch the walls of Jericho come crumbling down. Don't look at it through natural eyes. Let Christ do it and get away from what you can do and instead go to Philippians 4.13 and say, I can do what? All things. Don't stop there. All things how? Through Christ. A lot of people want to get that little... Uh, logo print I can do all things I can do all things I can do it you can't do nothing including speak the English language well but you know what you can do you can do anything and everything through Christ there's your resources that's when the math starts to add up so many times we will be blinded by our math Moses had to learn it wasn't about him or his ability to speak Gideon had to learn it wasn't the size of your army. Whoa, 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 look at, look at that army. It's got tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of warriors. Okay, you got 300. What's your problem? He had to learn. It isn't in our math. It's in our God. David understood that Goliath was way bigger. And in everybody's eyes, including the army and the king he represented, they all were sitting. Don't you know when they watched? Remember the challenge? Goliath, send out your champion. One-on-one, we'll fight. The armies are too scared. They're hiding in the hills. Let's go one-on-one. I'll be our champion of the Philistines. You send me yours. We'll fight. Whoever wins, wins. Nobody steps up for Israel. David shows up to bring lunch to his brothers. He can't believe that they're allowing their God to be mocked by this pagan giant. He goes to the king and says, I'll do it. Nobody else can step up. I'll do it. King looked at little old David. 
Aren't you a cute little lad? Oh, and you rode in on your little stick horse. How cute. What a, what a sweet little boy. Why don't you go over and play with your toys, David? This is a man's war. I need a giant killer. I need somebody bigger than Goliath. He didn't have anybody bigger than Goliath. And so, I don't know how Saul did it, but he allowed David to go represent his army. Doesn't make any sense in the world. And don't you see all the army of Israel looking out? Who's the champions going out? And they see a little baby boy going out there on his little stick horse. Don't you know they've given up? Don't you know they're hanging their head and they know that they're about to become the slaves to the Philistines? When David showed up against Goliath, he didn't approach Goliath flexing his muscles, trying to intimidate him with a scrowl look. He didn't even have a whisker on his face. He couldn't intimidate this guy, but David didn't come out. He didn't come, look at my sling. You better be scared. You better be scared. You better be scared. Goliath wasn't scared. But David didn't come to him with natural math. David came against Goliath and he said, listen, man, I'm not coming at you with this sling and stones. I'm coming at you in the name of who? The Lord. And on that day, he experienced the supernatural. Why? Because he didn't live by the math. He knew he was nothing. He knew he had nothing. Uh, That's not true. He knew he had everything. He knew he had the favor and the power of of Almighty God. His math was different than their math. What kind of math are you looking to? What reality are you living in, the natural realm or the supernatural realm? Well, we can try to fight through life with our own resources, or we can learn to do all things through Christ. And so that's what the disciples are learning here. In this story, go back to Matthew 15, 37 now, the disciples surrendered what they had. They let Jesus do the rest. And when they invited him into the equation, the math added up to the supernatural, not the natural. Look at verse 37. It says, they all ate, and they were satisfied. And then they picked up what was left over. See, I told you, first Thanksgiving, there's always Thanksgiving leftovers. There's more than yours. They picked it all up. Guess how many baskets there were? Seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men, and then there was also the women and the children. Thousands, ten thousands and more had Thanksgiving dinner together, and they were satisfied. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There are so many people who see God as a harsh God. They don't see him as a compassionate God because we've never taken him to the God of all compassion. We go to church, they go their way, and they only see God as harsh and cruel. We know the compassion of God, but we got to start taking that to the people. Let them taste and see that your Lord, your God, is good. Don't take them your resources. Don't take them your natural things. Give them what they need, the bread of life. As they started this day, they had seven loaves. When they finished the day... With not much, they did much, and they had even more. There were seven baskets full. Now, this basket in this chapter is different than the baskets of the previous chapter. In the previous feeding, they collected it up in baskets, little baskets that you could carry along, and they had 12 baskets full. 
This Greek word for basket is the same basket that they hid Paul in to lower him over a wall to get him out of town before they killed him. It was a basket that was bigger than a person. You could hide a whole person in this basket. Isn't that interesting? They started the day with seven itty-bitty loaves, a loaf they could hold in a hand. At the end of the day, they had a basket reminder, enough for a whole person. If you let me in the equation, that not much can become something great. God multiplied it. That's who God is. God is a God who takes not much and turns it into great things. I'll close with this. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says this, in him, in Christ, not in church membership, not in your self-righteousness, not in anything you have. You don't have much to bring before a holy God. You fall short. But in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. That word lavish, you'll see a picture of it at the Thanksgiving table. If you're a gravy person, when they lavish the mashed taters with the gravy, you're getting a picture of God's grace. You don't just, if you're doing gravy, man, don't you dare put a little drop of gravy on there. Float the boat, man. Throw it all on there. Cover it all up. Go all in, and that's who Jesus is with his grace. He doesn't sprinkle a little bit of grace on you. He lavishly pours it out on you, and you say, but I don't have much. There was a day I had to come before God and say, Lord, I don't have anything. I thought I did. I thought I was building a decent resume. I thought my good was outweighing my bad. Lord, I'm bankrupt before you. I don't have anything. God said, I'll give you everything. Have you experienced that lavish grace? Have you come to a point, and God says, what do you have that will allow you to enter in my kingdom forever? Well, Lord, I, I went to Falls Creek. I gave to the children's building program. I sat over in the other part of the building for Thanksgiving when everybody else got to sit in here. Oh, I heard your cards. We can make a list all day long. Or we can get honest with God. God, I've fallen short of your glory. I'm a sinner. God, I need your grace. What about those of you who have experienced God's lavish grace? Is that just your ticket to heaven? Or are you experiencing that lavish grace every day you wake up? Are you willing to report for duty and say, Lord, here I am. I don't have much, but boy, I'm looking forward to you doing great things. See the difference? Don't make excuses. Don't miss out on the supernatural just because you know natural math. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. This is what we prayed about earlier. We prayed for this very moment. This whole room was filled with people praying for you right now, including yourself. You prayed, Lord, open my eyes. What did you need to see today? And what have you seen? What has God showed you? How do you respond? In a moment, our staff will be standing here. We'll stand together. If you need to respond in any reason, if it's just to come to this altar and lay down the, the little bitty loaves that you have and say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you right now, Lord. If you've never experienced God's grace, you've never been saved from your sin, it's time to get honest with God and say, God, I have nothing that makes me holy. Lord, change me. Give me eternal life. And he will. So I want to pray for you. Tom will start to sing. Whatever you need to do next, you just honor God. Lord, we come to you in this moment. We do what the disciples did. We, we bring to you what we have. Our transparency, 
our honesty, our sin, our lacking. Lord, we just need to get honest and say, Lord, while we don't have much and yet we have much sin, Lord, we come to you for your lavish grace. If you need to be saved, I hope you'll come. If you need to repent for any reason, I hope you'll come. If you need a church family and say, God, I want a place where I can serve you and get back in the game, you come. If you have another need, we're here for you. Our staff are here at the front. Let me pray. Father, move during this time as we move to respond to your voice in Jesus' name.